he already sees us as we are. We try to go, mm, not so much, right? And that's, you guys, that's called conviction. You want conviction in your life. You want that. That's a good thing. What you do with conviction is another thing. You need to respond to that conviction. You need to respond to that. That's how the Holy Spirit's working. It's like, okay, this, all right, this, this, lay this down, this. And your response to that allows you to become more and more like him and less and less like your? Excellent. Like your putrid selves. More and more like him and less and less like your putrid selves, right? So this morning, uh, we are going to see a video of the power of forgiveness, and then we're going to go in and uh, share what God has for us this morning. We're going to talk about the, we already talked about the meaning of forgiveness, which is, uh, you know, untying the knot, releasing, right? Okay. We've talked about why we must forgive, because if we don't forgive, it causes unforgiveness. Unforgiveness causes all kinds of hardships in our life, psychologically, physically, relationally, and relationally with God. Okay. But we're going to go through, okay, okay, but How? And we're going to look at Colossians 3. So let's look at the uh, monitor. Because of the one who showed mercy on us, what? First, first, we too have the power of forgiveness. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Colossians 3, because that's where we're digging into this morning. Of course, I bet you forgot your Bibles, because I used the screen, the screen yesterday, right? Okay. I should have reminded you, but if you have your Bible, open it up. If not, you know share with someone, or, you know, I'm going to be sort of doing expository teaching this morning right from the Word of God. And, um, you know, how can we forgive? How can we do this thing that goes against our nature? Our human nature doesn't go, oh, I can hardly wait to forgive. Oh, yeah, that's exactly, no, no, it's the Holy Spirit in us that, that brings us to that point. And I mentioned last night, we first have to get undressed. You first have to get undressed. You have to take off the tattered, old, stinky, smelly clothes before you can put on the clothes out of God's wardrobe. Before you can put on the clothes out of God's wardrobe, okay? We need to take off the fleshly, worldly yuck and put on our heavenly clothes. Those clothes that perfectly fit because it's from a perfect God, right? It has God's label on it. When you're walking around, you have his label on you. It's, it's his clothes. It's what he has clothed you, clothed you in. Not all the labels of these shopping bags, like the Gap and, and Coach and Gap and Crate and Barrel and Bath and Body Works. We don't have those labels on us. We have his label on us. The best creative designer label ever. They're his clothes that we are wearing for everybody to see. Right? And then people are drawn to us. They're drawn to us. They're drawn to us. Because you're different. You're different. You don't respond like this other person does. And then at that point, you can say, that's because I'm wearing his label. I'm wearing his label. And you can share about it, right? So let's look back at the major text for the weekend in Colossians 3. Uh, let, and let's go to, to uh, 5 through 7. Okay. Therefore, I'm reading out of the New King James here. Therefore, put to death your members which are on, on the earth, fornication, which is sexual promiscuity, uncleanness, which is impurity, passion, which is lust, evil desire, which means doing whatever you feel like it whenever you feel like it, okay? And, uh, and covetousness, which is grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. Want it? I'm going to get it, okay? Because of these things, 
The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, those who are doing those things, okay? In which you yourselves, remember, he's talking to the church at Colossae. So they're, are they saints or ain'ts? They're, you have a 50-50 chance here. <laughs> are they saints or ain'ts? They're saints. A saint is a person who's a believer, right? You're either a saint or an ain't, right? You either know Jesus and you're a believer or you're not. So you're either a saint or an ain't. And he's speaking to the church at Colossae. They are believers. They are saints. So he's telling them, you used to do all this stuff. You don't do it anymore. And he says right here, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves, what? Once walked when you lived in them. Okay, you used to be like this, but now you are clothed in God's wardrobe. You aren't supposed to look like that anymore. There's not supposed to be the lumpy, bumpy stuff. You're supposed to be clothed in his wardrobe. So he's telling, Paul is telling the believers, okay, this does not describe you anymore. Those were your old clothes. You have on new clothes, okay? And if you look at the beginning of Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4, because he's saying, Therefore, it points back to the identification that we have with the risen Christ, the enthroned Christ, Jesus, who is risen, who is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me right now. Right now. Picture that. Jesus, seated at the right side of God the Father, is interceding for you and I right now. You and me. So he says, because of that, therefore, we're supposed to understand, because we identify him, that we can put to death in our lives, okay, things that are contrary to the identity of Jesus Christ in us. That's a dichotomy. If we're doing all this yuck, old clothes, then we don't look like we're in Jesus, do we? And he says, look, we don't need to do that. The word um, the Greek word, necrosate. Necrosate means literally to make dead, to kill, to exterminate. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to go, oh, I'll just tuck it away for a little bit. I'll hide it behind here. Right? I'll just put it away for a little bit. It doesn't mean that. It means to kill. To make dead, it's a very strong word, necrosate, it means it's dead, okay? You exterminate the old way of life. The old way of life is killed. Because you know why? God knows that those old ways will come back and go, hello, hello. Remember how fun that was? Just this once. Come on. Come on. Just take it out. Just one, just put Nobody's going to see it. Lump. He knows. He knows that they're going to haunt us, okay? And, and those will, they will take on a life of their own if we don't exterminate them. I didn't come to know Jesus Christ until I was 31, uh, personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently in my life. And prior to that, I... Uh, I had lived a life of pretty much Romans 1, pretty much sin. And uh, I had some pretty sexy clothes then. And uh, I used to date NBA basketball players and you know, hockey, professional hockey players. And, all, and, and so I wanted to look like the world. 
and I wore what the world wore and looked like, sort of like what Doris was talking about in her video, and looked like that. And when I came to Christ, I still had those sexy old clothes in the back of my closet. And I thought, I'll, I'll just keep them back there. You know, I don't wear those anymore, right? But I'll just keep them back there. And you know what happened? I'd be going through and be like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I looked hot in this. This is great, right? What's happening? What's happening? I'm being lured back to the old way. To the old way. That's why God says, kill him. Needs to be put to death. You have no business with that old way of life. That stuff is what I died for. It's gone. Live like it. Live like it. Your clothes are not the old clothes. You have put to death. You have denied these things. You consider them dead to you, and you're dead to them. So promptly, I remember the Lord speaking to me. I took them all, and I didn't go and give them to Goodwill or St. Vinny's. I'm like, oh, that might not be a good thing. And I just threw them out. That's what I needed to do. That's what you need to do in your life. That's what I need to do in my life. It's important that you name and list your old clothes, your sin. Your sin that you do might not be the sin I do. Your propensity towards this sin might not be my propensity. You need to name and list them. He does. Sexual sin, lust, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, right? Because you know what? It's far easier to drift back into it if you just call it, well, you know, it's sin. No, it's this. It's that. It's this. And you call it. You call it out. You own your sin. Because if you don't own your sin, you can't confess it. If you don't own it, you have to say, you know what? This is what I did. I sinned before a holy God. This is what I did. And now I'm going to confess it. I'm going to come before you. Like the amazing love that we say, right? I'm going to come before you. I'm going to confess it. And when you confess it and you own it, he goes, oh, that's great. It's forgiven already. That's great. I'm glad you agree with me. Then you can repent and turn from it and walk away. We first have to own it. Then you confess it. Then you can repent. I had a coworker that uh, would share with me, and he, he'd say to me, Oh, Margo, I've done bad things in my life. I've done bad things. He never wanted to call them out what they were. Not like he had to tell me what they were. But he would always go, Well, you know what? I, I, I just did bad things. You need to call out X, Y, Z to yourself. Lord, you died for this sin. I did this, I did this, I did this. You know what, I am a wretch, but you forgave me. You already forgave me at the cross, right? And, and if you don't call them out, it's harder to put them to death because you don't just put blanket sin to death. You put these sins to death. Look how Paul called it out. He called it out and he said, hey, believers, you have no place doing these things, wearing the old clothes. These clothes are exterminated. So then Paul tells them, right, fornication, which is any intercourse outside of marriage, uncleanness, which is misuse of sex, passion and evil desires, each of these terms refers to sexual sins. You know, nothing is new, is it? Right? I mean, Colossians days, sexual sins. Are there sexual sins in our day in 2013? They abound. They abound. I mean, TV is full of it. Full of it. Sexual sin. And covetousness 
which is just simple insidious greed. It's nothing less than idolatry because you're putting things before God because you're coveting it. You want it, okay? And the wrath of God, he says, is coming upon these sons of disobedience. So these sins that you do invite the wrath of God. And because the world loves this kind of lifestyle, they don't come in humility to Jesus. They keep walking in these sins. And he said, these sins in which you once walked. In other words, you're not to do that anymore. You once walked in them when you lived in them. These sins may mark a world of rebellion against God, but they are in past tense for you and I as believers. They must be in past tense for you and I as believers. Simply put, we must not live as sons of disobedience. A true believer cannot be comfortable in habitual sin. You cannot be walking down the runway of life here in habitual sin. You cannot be living a lifestyle of sin and call yourself a true believer. I'm not saying that. The Word of God is saying that. Oh, are you going to sin occasionally? Yeah, you are. But you're not going to be living a lifestyle of sin on your one runway of life. It can't happen with a true believer because you have discarded, you know that you have, you've discarded those old clothes, those old, horrendous, stinky clothes. We cannot be comfortable in the ragged, stinky clothes. Paul says that you once walked in these sins. It is possible, though tragic, that these sins could occasionally mark your life. Because as you are growing more and more in him, it's a process, isn't it? So they may occasionally mark your life, but they must not be your walk. They must not be your manner of living. They must not be your dress. That's not how you are identified anymore. If you look at verses 8 and 9, you're not just getting rid of these sins that he talked about, but you're removing other traces of worldliness, not even a hint of wearing old clothes. He says, okay, all of this should be gone now, but now you yourselves are to put off these. Anger, which is bad temper, wrath, which is irritability, malice, meanness, blasphemy, which is profanity, filthy language, which is dirty talk, out of your mouth. Do not what? Do not lie to one another, right? Since you have put off, you have killed, you've exterminated the old man, the old clothes with his deeds. Okay, so the sins that Paul lists here, we tend to think are little sins. Oh, the sexual thing, those are big sins. But these are little sins. We excuse these sins. We rationalize these sins. And when you overlook them with little danger, you're, you're headed for a fall. Paul challenges us to put off the clothes in every area of our life. Put off the habits just as you would discard an old suit that doesn't fit you anymore. Doesn't fit anymore. These old clothes shouldn't feel good on you anymore. It, they don't fit. So you get rid of them. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth, do not lie. Each of these are primarily committed to what we what? What we speak 
our tongue, our ugly tongue, that we're to bridle, it James says. These are things that come out of our mouth and out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks, Jesus says. These are things that we say. And you know, it's possible to lie to someone without even speaking. Okay, think about this. You can distort the truth just by your alteration in your tone of your voice, okay? Or by a look. Or by um, a silence, which can lead to false and misleading thinking in the other person. We have to be very careful. Do not lie to one another. That's not a suggestion. That's Jesus telling us that. My mom used to say, Margo, a half, a half a truth is a whole lie. A half truth is a whole lie. Since you've put off the old man with his deeds, take off the old clothes so you can get what? Dressed in the new, okay? So you've put off the old man, you've put off the old clothes with his deeds, okay? And so we are to be different. We are the saints of God. We are to be different people. We're dressed in the new. And so when a tide of passion or a surge of anger or something comes at us, that it should be like an alien intruder. It shouldn't be like, oh, that feels good. Yeah, this is like old shoes. Man, it's like old clothes. No, it should be an alien intruder. It should stop you. That's not it. That's not who I am anymore. I've put that off. I'm new. I'm wearing the new clothes now. I love it in the message. You want to put that up, please? The message says, you're done with that old way of life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe, God's wardrobe. Every item of your new life is custom made by the creator with what? Come on, say it again. With what? I should say with who? His label, right? His label on it. The, the chief Perfect creator, designer. Now you'll notice in verse 12, look at verse 12. It says either therefore or and so, right? And therefore is a reminder to look back to see what it's there for, okay? And, it's, and it serves as an introduction. So for in Christ, we are called Christians. We've become Christians and then a change has taken place, okay? We, we've said goodbye to the old man with its old deeds, with its old clothes. We've said goodbye to Mr. Wrong with its habits and its passions, and its evil desires, okay? And, <clears throat> excuse me, here in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, we're given a clear instruction on what we are to look like in Christ. It has to be in Christ. See, you can't get dressed in God's wardrobe unless you're in Christ. See, God had to make a way, which he did, to have a relationship with us because he wanted to, because he loves us so much. And he made it through his son, on the cross, Jesus Christ. See, there should be a certain and undeniable change that's taken place. It's not a change, something that we have done. It's something that Christ has done in us and to us and for us. The change is Jesus in us. The change is Jesus. He's our new clothes. I want to stop here for a very special moment because I'm not sure where you are with Jesus this morning. 
Out of 100 plus women here, 75 ladies are new. 75. And I don't know where you are with Jesus, but he does. I don't know if you've taken that step to say, you know what? I want to accept you as my Savior. Not just the Savior of the world, my Savior. My sin alone kept Jesus on the cross. He didn't need your sin. He did it for me. He's my Savior. He's my God. He's my Jesus, right? And, and do you see a change in yourself? Do you see the old clothes gone, all the sin? And do you see yourself dressed in his righteousness, in God's wardrobe? Because none of this relentless forgiveness and forgiven to forgive stuff is going to make any sense to you this weekend if you don't first have Jesus in your heart. Let's watch the screen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those old clothes that you're wearing aren't permanent marks when you accept Jesus as your Savior. See what the cross did? Right? He's already forgiven you. It's if you're going to receive the gift of that salvation. It's if you're going to receive him to be able to put on those incredible clothes that God has for you. If you have not, it's as easy as bowing your head right now and saying, oh, Jesus, I want that. I want you. I want you to forgive my sin, my yuck, all the stuff I saw in there. I know I did that. And come and live in me and be my power so I can live in the new clothes with his label on it, with your label on it. See in verses 12 through 14 on, on the screen, it says, because you are chosen by God, Put on a heart for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength with his gentleness and discipline, which is patience. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as a master, what? Forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. I want you to see those first words. Because you are what? What does that make you feel like? Woohoo, right? Really? We're chosen by designer, created, label God? Really? He chose me? Yeah, it says in the Word of God, He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why Jesus came. That's why He wants, to, you know, he, that it's through the righteousness of His blood that we're able to come into the throne room. He chose us. God has made you eternally secure in His choice. He chose you. He doesn't change his mind. Hmm. Margo has been a wretch. Okay, I'm going to make a different... No, he doesn't change his mind, all right? He doesn't make mistakes. And when he chooses you, we have certain benefits, right? We have certain benefits. We are made right with God by the blood of Jesus. We're set apart for him and to to do what he wants us to do in, in, his, in his plan for our lives, right? We're loved by him. We're cared by him, okay? And as a loving response to being chosen, Paul is saying, the natural thing to do, the most natural thing to do would be what? Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Look, he chose you. He loves you. He's got your life for you. He's planned it. He's got everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Guess what? Dress in the wardrobe I picked out for you. And if God picked it out for you, woo, perfect, excellent. He wants you to dress in the wardrobe that he picked out for you. You know, I remember when my uh, girls were little, and I don't know if when you had little guys, if you, if you dressed them, but when you, when you dressed your little girls, oh my, it was like playing doll. 
I mean, remember, I mean, right? It's just like, oh, and you'd, you'd dress them perfectly. You know, you'd have, even if you went out for a walk, it's like, oh, I gotta change her. She looks so cute, right? You're always dressing her perfectly. And I remember as the kids were growing up, they'd be like, oh, mom, I love that you had this and this matches that. And, you know, and because they trusted me, okay? Because they knew I loved them and they knew I wanted the best for them. Okay, and so we're to dress in that wardrobe. And the wardrobe is this, is, is clothes are this. Put on tender mercies, which is compassion. Put on kindness, put on humility. Put on in the Greek means enduo, E-N-D-U-O, enduo. And it means to sink into clothing. To sink into clothing, to put on, to clothe one's self, okay? The words are put on. It's a command. It's not if you want to. It's a command. Brian and I love to kayak. We live on a lake. If you come and kayak with me, I will tell you to put on your PFD. If you don't, you won't kayak with me. Because I know that that personal flotation device, it might save your life. And that's what we're going to do. We used to carpool a lot. Oh my goodness. We used to carpool and carpool and um, I'd have friends take the kids to school because I was on the fish early mornings, and then I'd pick them up at night, right? Well, the kids would sit, and I wouldn't. They'd go, well, aren't we getting going? I'm like, uh, no. Well, why not? Well, you got to put your seatbelt on. You put on your seatbelt. And I had one kid. Halfway through, I could hear it unclick. I just pull over and stop the car. <laughs> what are you stopping for, Mrs. Feasler? What are you stopping for? I said, somebody doesn't have on their seatbelt. Kyle, Kyle. Everybody's screaming at him, right? Click, there it goes, right? You have to put it on. That's what he tells us. Put on. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in this, okay? It's not a suggestion. Because once you have taken off the old clothes, you don't stand there naked. You put on the new. You put on the new. You take off the old we talked about and you put on the new, okay? And each one of these qualities that we've been talking about in this passage, passage expresses themselves in relationships. Do you notice that? It's always in relationships. And a significant measure of our life, our Christian life, is found in how we treat one another and the quality of our relationship. And people are going to know if you have on the new clothes the way you treat each other. Something about that person. Wow, there's, that person is peculiar, which is the King James Version. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And then regardless of it, he says, wear love. Wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. You put it on, never be without it. And I love that he didn't say things, virtues like, um, you know, put on efficiency. <laughs> put on cleverness. Margo, you need to put on productivity. I mean, there needs to be that productivity. Margo, you need to put on diligence. And I'm not saying that those things are unimportant. But I am saying that he's talking about the basic Christian virtues that govern relationships. So those other things don't govern relationships. Compassion, kindness, humility. They govern relationships. So let's look at compassion for a second, okay? Compassion or tender mercies. I love when it says tender mercies, okay? If something is tender, it's sensitive to the touch. It's sensitive to the touch, okay? Um, Paul would have us to feel the slightest touch 
of another person's misery. In other words, heartfelt compassion towards one another, your pain in my heart. I remember my dad, um, he had neuropathy in his feet. And even if you would just, you know, accidentally just touch them, it they were so sensitive. They were so sensitive. And I think about that with, with something that's tender, something that's sensitive to the touch. We should be so sensitive to other people's hurt, other people's pain. That when you put on clothes, you feel yourself put on clothes, don't you? Right? When you put on clothes, it's the same thing. It should be as close as that, that we feel other people's pain in our heart. Then there's kindness. Kindness, the Greek word for kindness is krestotes. Krestotes is defined as virtue of the man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. Your good is as, good to me, as, is as dear to me as my own. That same word is used with wine uh, in, the, in the Bible, which has grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. Wine that's grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. It's also the word that was used in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, same word, kindness, Christotes. Same exact word. Okay, kindness, sweetness of disposition, generosity, goodness, a person that has good things to say about each other. They're considerate. They're other to each other, right? Their words are tempered with grace. They're tempered with um, tenderness. A kind person isn't abrupt. They're not harsh. You know, they're soft-hearted. They genuinely care about you. Genuinely. It's not just the typical, oh, hi, how are you? And walk on. They genuinely compare about, uh, uh, care about you. Everyone knows someone like this. Someone whose manner is like that, that communicate, communicates kindness, even if they're not saying a word. My mom. My mom put on clothes of kindness. My mom oozed kindness. I was a jerk, and my mom was not. She oozed kindness to me. My daughter, Becca, our 18-year-old, a sophomore in college, she, her very demeanor oozes kindness. Then there's a garment of humility. So you've got compassion on, you've got kindness on, and now there's a garment of humility, okay? This means that you're to submit one to another. Huh? I thought that was only husband and wife stuff. No. You're submit one to another, right? Putting you before me. Putting the other person before myself. And that allows me to have a proper estimation of myself. And that means I'm lowly. Lowly. Jesus was lowly in heart, wasn't he? Lowly comes from the word doulos, which is the word slave. But the word slave is they were a slave to the slaves. It was the lowest of the low that you could get. Low. And if Jesus could humble himself, which we know he did in Philippians 2, to go to the cross, how much more should we not humble ourselves? Because he's our example. You know, we live in this world where humbleness, humility, oh, no, no, no. 
It's all about me. It's all about one and upping the next guy. It's all about, you know, um, self-promotion, boasting, because when you do that, man, you look secure. You look successful. You look like you're well-adjusted. That's what the world thinks. That's what the world thinks. But as a new wardrobe wearer, try to say that a couple times, wardrobe wearer with God's label on it, those attitudes would create discord. They would create division. No, we're to put on humility. Humility enables us to be servants in serving others, not insisting they serve us. We serve others. So we have the garment of compassion, the garment of kindness, the garment of humility, and then we have the garment of gentleness or meekness. Okay? The garment of gentleness or meekness. Okay? And that is a willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. A willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. What a contrast the world thinks about that. I mean, the world sees meekness as weakness, as weakness, okay? I read this story about um, a humorist named J. Upton Dixon. He said he was writing a book titled Cower Power and said he had also founded a group for submissive people called Doormats. An acrostic for dependent organization of really meek and timid souls, if there were no objections. Their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with you guys. (laughs) Their symbol was a yellow traffic light. Now, we can laugh at that, okay? But sadly, that's what the world thinks. The world thinks that meekness equals weakness. But the Bible says Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. And we know that we know that Jesus wasn't weak. Meekness from a biblical perspective means this. Strength under control. Look at him on the cross. Strength under control. It takes, it takes greater strength to exhibit meekness than to burst forth with anger and lose control. Did you hear me? It takes greater strength to exhibit meekness than to let yourself burst forth and have anger and lose control. And then we're to clothe ourselves with patience or discipline, okay? This is long-suffering. God is long-suffering, okay? Especially in the face of injury or insult. That's the key. You're, it's very easy to be patient if you don't have to. I mean, if nothing's going on, it's like, whoa, I'm great. Long-suffering, oh, yeah. And then injury and insult comes along, and you're like, what? No, no. This is when you're long-suffering. This is when you have discipline. This is when you have patience, okay? And, and it is marked with the ability to respond in love to people who have treated us poorly. You respond in love, okay? Patience in our own strength is impossible, Patience, you may be able to do a little bit here and there, you know, and this, this, and try it. Oh, no. Long-term, walk in the runway of life, impossible. It's impossible. Patience is not something the world teaches us to practice. The world doesn't, you know, look at patience as that. They may give lip service to it in a patronizing kind of way, okay? But really, the world looks down on its traits and ascribes them to weak, timid, insecure losers, So the question is, 
Will we give in to the worldly pressures and act like the world in stinky old clothes? Or will we allow Christ to control our lives? Right? By putting on the new clothes. Out of God's wardrobe and live according to his mandates. Regardless of what the world thinks, see, when we put on God's wardrobe, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, two specific things then take place. You forbear with one another, you forgive one another. But you first have to have on your clothes that are his label. Then you're able to forbear with one another. You're able to forgive one another. Forbearing means that you put up, that you tolerate one another's quirks. It's not that you've done anything morally wrong, the person to you, but there's quirks. We all are different. Right? We're all different. If you're married, you know that. Right? We're all different. And you put up with each other's quirks. You forbear with that person. I'll never forget, you know, my husband, logical and analytical, very personable, thank you, Lord, but very, you know, everything has its place, place for everything. Well, you know, I, I agree. That's great. That's great. And I, when I do the dishes and I put them in the dishwasher, I pretty much do it this way, and there you go. Brian will look at it and, you know, come and be more efficient and rearrange the dishes in the dishwasher. Years ago, I used to have to walk out of the room and, you know, instead of, what are you doing? I mean, really, you don't appreciate that, right? How does this affect me, garbage, right? And said, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? Now, I'm like, thank you, honey. We can be more efficient. We can get at least four more plates in there. I said, you know what, sweet bug? That rocks. That so rocks. And he'll turn to me and go, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I'm like, honey, long suffering. Long suffering. Forbear with one another. Forbear with one another, right? There are many things I do that, you know, quirks with him. I mean, you guys, we don't have this problem, but, you know, the toilet paper does, it's supposed to go over, not under, just so you know. I mean... That is in the message. I found it. <laughs> okay, it's not. All right. But Brian, you know, but you need to forbear with one another. It, it's, it's not a moral thing, but you're able, when you've got on all of God's clothes, you can easily forbear because you know why? That person's made in God's image. That's that person's personality, and you know what? You can complete each other, not compete. You complete each other. You don't compete with one another. And then you forgive one another. You forgive. <clears throat> That's the second thing that happens when we're clothed in God's wardrobe, right? We are wearing his label. We have his label on, and we forgive one another as Christ forgave us. Even if you have a valid complaint against someone, you forgive that person. Last night, a lady came up to me, and she goes, it was so sweet. She goes, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to forgive before that person even asks for forgiveness? I said, that's how the Lord forgave you. See, right? That's how the Lord forgave us. That's what we're supposed to do. Because he knows, remember from last night, it's good for us. That's what he's done. It's good for us. Then we don't let that bitter seed take root. Then we're not drinking the bottle of bitterness, hoping the other person dies. Right? He knows it's good for us, right? Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. It's surrendering my right 
to hurt you because you hurt me. We don't have to strike back. There's no payback. We don't have to repay gossip with gossip and, and pass it on like a juicy morsel. We don't have to have a bad turn and make a worse one, okay? It means replacing the feelings of resentment and anger with goodwill, with love. With love. You replace it with love that seeks another person's welfare. You don't seek their harm anymore. You don't want to pay back. You want, you want them to have, you want them to know Christ like you know Christ. That's the ultimate. And for you and I, forgiveness, as we talked about last night, isn't easy, but it's not optional either. It's not optional. It's not something that you want to do when you want to do it. It's an essential characteristic of a transformed life in Jesus Christ. It's essential. It's essential. It is one that marks that you are his, and you have his label on you. It marks you that way. And we're told you, we are told to continue to forgive each other as Jesus forgave us. Jesus is the standard and the example for forgiveness. Let's finish watching Doris Merton's video. I know it's a cliffhanger, so let's watch. Okay, you got to wipe your happy tears away here, right? right she, uh, Doris understood. She understood that Jesus forgave her which made her more generous with forgiveness. Did you see that? Which made her more generous with forgiveness, not less generous. When you realize the staggering debt that Jesus paid to forgive you of your sin, name it, okay? And the comparative smallness of the debts we have against each other, toward each other, it is base ingratitude to Jesus if we don't forgive each other. Those who are forgiven much, love much. See, God's forgiveness is like this. God makes the first mood move towards us in forgiveness, doesn't he? He makes the first move. What we tend to do is we want to be reconciled with the person who wronged us only if that person craves forgiveness and makes the first move. That's not God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness knows that we're going to sin again. And perhaps we'll do the same exact thing. We tend to forgive only if the person who wronged us solemnly promises to never wrong us again. And that's not going to happen. Jesus is never going to fail you, but I promise you I'm going to. You're going to. See, God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants us adoption to those former offenders. That's what he does, right? To us. What we tend to do is even when forgiveness is offered, we tend not to want to lift up this former offender to a place of high status and partnership. We want them to pay for their wrongs. Is any of this sounding familiar? Because that's not how we're to forgive. Colossians 3 says, we forgive as the Lord forgave us. God bore all the penalty and the wrong that we did against him. When we're wronged, what we do is we don't want to forgive the other person until they agree to bear all the penalty for the wrong they did against us. God keeps reaching out to us in reconciliation, he's always like, I love you. 
I love you, right? He's a hound to heaven. He goes after you. He always wants to reconcile, reconcile. He's always, even if you refuse him again and again and again. And with us, what happens is, you know, we don't want to continue to offer reconciliation even if the person has refused once. It's like, I'm done. Okay, I, I did my job. That's not God's way. God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. Does he? It's like, no, come, here it is, right? What, what do we do? We don't want to restore an offender without a period of probation. It's like, you know what? You hurt me so much that, you know what? You need to hurt for a while. You, you, you be in the probationary time, and then I'll forgive you. Sound familiar? God's forgiveness offers complete restoration, complete honor, and we feel like we should be complimented when we merely tolerate those who sin against us. Oh, you're doing such a good job with that. Oh, yay. You didn't deserve that. Once having forgiven, God puts his trust in us and invites us back to work as co-laborers with him. How cool is that? Come on. Come on. You're co-laborers with me. Come on. Co-heirs, co-laborers. Let's go on. Right? You're forgiven, right? We don't want to trust anybody that's formally wronged us. I don't know if that person would be my best friend. Mm-mm-mm. Charles Spurgeon, if any of you guys know, I love him, right? Mr. Mentor, wonderful British pastor. Hardly wait to meet you, Charles. Suppose that someone had grievously offended any one of you and that he asked your forgiveness. Do you think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but? Ah, dear friends, that is a sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It is a lame forgiveness, and it is not worth much. And tonight, that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to dig into, I forgive you, but. Because, see, God forgives, like I just mentioned, all those other ways that we forgive is I forgive you, but. I forgive you, but, because you know what you have done? You haven't truly forgiven. Because at the end of Uh, Colossians 3 and verse 14, it says, regardless of what you put on, you wear what? Like Doris said, you wear love. Your basic all-purpose garment, don't be without it. Love is a summary of all the virtues that were just described in this passage. Love perfectly fulfills, perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in relationships. His love, his unconditional loves, Love, but above all these things, put on love, upon all, over all, outer garment, envelops all the rest of them. Love should be seen. It's over everything, right? Love invests and encompasses us. That's the first thing people should see. Ah, look at that. Your love for him, your love towards others, leads us to forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. And that should be our response for his love to me, to you. Then and then, only then, are you able to forgive as Christ forgave you. When you've taken off the old, you've discarded the clothes, and you put on clothes out of God's God's wardrobe, and you have his label on you, you are able to relentlessly forgive. You are forgiven to forgive, and you're able to walk through it knowing that you're forgiven, so in turn, 
you can forgive until we see him face to face. Last night, we wrote on the whiteboards how others have sinned against us, how others have wronged us. And I want you to continue writing on those this weekend. This morning, you have on your chairs this little piece of uh, paper which has a shirt on it, which means old clothes. Old clothes. This is not God's wardrobe. This is old clothes. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to write down some yucky old clothes stuff that you're still hanging on to. Lumpy, bumpy sin, old clothes stuff. I don't know if it's lying, deceiving, bitterness, sexual impurity. I don't know what it is, but he does. Call it out. Call it out. Because when you call it out, you can confess it. When you confess it, you can repent from it. Maybe something that continues to just nag at you. Nag at you. You know, you, you go find, you go find. Oh. Write it down. Fold it twice and come and put it in one of the old labels. These are the world's labels. Just drop it in. Make a, make a statement. Just drop it in. No one's going to read it. It's just between you and Jesus. Old clothes stuff. Wanting to get rid of it, place it in the shopping bags. 